This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, Episode 9, with guest Anne Philippe. Hello everyone, I'm your host Daria Suvorova and welcome to today's episode. Anne's life story is one of a kind. As a former journalist at Vogue, Vanity Fair and JQ, she wrote about Hollywood's glamorous side as she interviewed rock stars and famous actors. Hollywood is a place where new ideas meet least resistance and where ghosts still wander along the Sunset Boulevard. In 2019, Anne made a drastic shift in her career and founded The New Health Club, a lifestyle platform for mental wellness and psychedelics. On this episode, expect nothing less but a full deep dive into the world of magic mushrooms. Anne and I spoke about the renaissance of psychedelics and how it reinvents modern medicine. Let's kick off this magical conversation with Anne Philippe, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the studio, Anne. It's so great to have you joining me today, and I'm so ready to explore the psychedelics universe with you. <laughs> I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much. It's great, and I'm happy to have this lazy Sunday afternoon here, which is so much fun to do it then, then like in a stressed week. <laughs> Perfect. So. Why one day in 2009 you decided to move to LA? Maybe I should mention, but I did saw your Berlin TED Talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please mention it. No. In Berlin, I worked for Vanity Fair, and it was actually great. I mean, it was a really great time. And so, I mean, it was a great time in Berlin also. And um, but then because of the financial crisis back then, the, the, the German Vanity Fair edition uh, folded because they started to fold, like close magazines at Conde Nast and like 10 years ago already. Then I was really kind of, I mean, I think even before this happened, it was almost like a the last push I needed. I was really thinking like I wanted to go to the place where all these things were happening that um, I was writing about. But also, like, since you mentioned the TED Talk, <laughs> I was in this moment where I supposed to be thinking about how my life would actually go on from there. Like, maybe should I have a family? Should I start, like, a regular established life? And for some reason, I thought I wasn't ready for this yet, but not because I wanted to go out and party or anything because I just thought I need another there's another experience I need and since the TED talk was also um, about our idea of um, kind of midlife crisis I mean it was a little bit like that I think but only because I knew there was something that I still needed to experience I couldn't but I couldn't really tell what it was so yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to understand also why was it specifically LA and also why did you take on that role as a Hollywood celebrity reporter the reason is because it is a place where you and like one professor from Berkeley University I think said it it's it's the place like California in general where new ideas meet the least resistance and so, and I think I felt that this is a place where this is what I'm attracted to, like new ideas, you could say. And then, of course, like since I was working for Vanity Fair and, and GQ, of course, I was kind of already located in this Hollywood celebrity context. And I mean, in the beginning, and of course, it was super interesting because you had like in one week, you had three incredible movie stars that you talked to. 
And it was a really interesting experience in terms of how you, how this became like a normality that you had started the week with George Clooney and ended it with <laughs> Jeff Bridges. But then also you realized after a while, or I realized that it was never really something that was, let's say like you never really created something. And um, although it was great to meet all these people, and I mean, I really had many interesting conversations. It was it was still um, a very short kind of time you talk to people. After a while, you thought like, oh, wow, this is, this is just like, it's kind of a very interesting repetition, but it's never going to go anywhere in a way that you could actually create something else out of this. And I mean, I think it's still that case today. We know Hollywood from the old movies. Mm -hmm. We know that the stars have been born there. And maybe sometimes you feel that today it's on a decline, like the buzz totally. is on a decline. Oh, 100%. But nonetheless, it's, it is a place of really enriching history and yes. special ambience. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I think that's it's interesting you say that because like when you live there, like really live there and not just go come in for stories. So, so you always end up living in a house or in a place where so-and-so had lived Or you visit somebody where, like, like especially in West Hollywood, where Joan Crawford had lived because after her divorce. And, I mean, like, once you really get into the, let's say, the, the spirit of this city, which I think was super interesting always, it's just really, I mean, and this, I agree with you, it's really a place that is has, I mean, you could say has, has many ghosts uh, going around. And... Then sometimes you go into in buildings, in old buildings, and you still, I remember there's one building where James Elroy lives, the, the writer, or used to live, and we interviewed him. This building was built in the 30s by uh, Warner Brothers Studios, so stars could live there, like Mae West lived in a building and everything. And we got in there, and we waited in a lobby, and then there was this kind of sign with all the old movie stars who had lived there, and it was such a weird energy in this building. Like very, like like almost like in an Alice in Wonderland or something. Like a very interesting feeling. You know, we're talking about California. People are very over spiritualized there. So, like the old spirit would be somewhere. And actually, a friend of mine she once wanted to do a TV show about this, and I thought it was a really good idea because for some reason, this still is in this whole city is still this kind of vibe from from certain times from the 30s, 40s, from the 60s. I mean, parts from Sunset Boulevard have not changed since the 60s. So, and then the whole hippie thing has happened. The Doors, Charles Manson, all these places, like the Cielo Drive where Charles Manson killed Roman Polanski's wife, uh, Sharon Tate. So, I mean, it's still that street. It's still their houses that haven't changed since the 70s. So, Yeah, I mean, it's it's what what actually is it? It's a very spiritual place, and it really ways. really gives me goosebumps. I almost no, and it's it. really true because if you, but but that's the thing. I think it's really something you experience when you live like really live there, and then also another experience was that I mean I think I met the most interesting people like Angelinos, people born and raised there, and I always thought there were. What I really liked, I mean, just we see that where, where tech comes from, uh, I mean, it's not this, there's a reason why it comes from San Francisco and Silicon Valley, because it is really, you can think literally everything. And nobody would say, oh, that's a stupid idea to build a white phone that can also 
go on the internet. <laughs> Nobody would ever say that's a stupid idea. So, and then combined with um, with Hollywood, I mean, um, I mean, which was also basically a technology, if you want, in the beginning. So, I mean, it, it still to me is probably the most interesting place for me in the world. I have to say. And what were your main takeaways and learnings upon your return to Berlin in 2016? Do you mean like in terms of like the interviews that I've done or in general? Experiences, like, yeah, okay. interviews, mm -hmm. something that you came back and you're like, okay, I'm thinking a bit differently or... Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing was that I would say that I thought everybody once in his life or her life should go somewhere else where they don't know anybody. And don't know really where they should like there's no situation prepared for them and that's because i think this is really something that is brings you really back to you in a way that you really have to look into your own things that you otherwise would be maybe not look into because you would be too distracted because everything is already set up for you so this is one thing that i was really grateful that i had without even thinking about it had experienced that situation the other thing is of course i mean when i came back here first back to germany the first year was very difficult because i realized that for example when you go to california or to la like in the first two weeks that you after your arrival you kind of mind your mind opens again And when you came back to Germany, your mind starts to close again. So this is this was my my first experience coming back into 16. But then, of course, you realize, well, okay, so you can look at it like that way, or you just keep adjusting, like how to bring this open mind to this place. Because one thing that's also very interesting with California is that Sometimes, and that's a really specific thing for the for the place, like, of course, the place will open your mind to things, but there are no kind of regulations or boundaries anymore, which is sometimes also difficult to handle because everything seems possible, but still you would have to execute it. And, and sometimes you're very creative if you have regulations or if you have boundaries that you have to think around. And this sometimes makes you even more creative than just having like every possibility. So to make it short, I think coming back here was the main takeaway was that, so you can bring big ideas, other ideas to this place. And then you have to, let's, let's say Europe, and then you have to adjust them. And this is actually something that's very interesting to do. Absolutely. And the second chapter of this conversation is quite controversial and also portrays incredible transformation because from that amazing career of writing about Hollywood's glamorous side, you came to Berlin and you decided also to start something completely different, completely from scratch in the new industry and take on a new role. And could you tell me more about how you decided to found the new health club, which is a lifestyle platform for mental wellness and psychedelics? I came back and um, I was thinking, okay, should I now just go back to media and everything? But then I realized, well, this world, like Hollywood, to be honest, and in the way that we know it, it's basically over. And I mean, even if we hold on to newspapers in Germany, <laughs> kind of, it's, I mean, like paper and newspaper, it's like, I, I realized, okay, this world that I 
came from was falling apart. Or like this one of the former um, Financial Times directors I met, like like a woman who organized, uh, who, who was kind of a managing editor. She said like she would just managing decay. And I was like, wow, this is exactly how this felt to me. So, and at the same time, I just realized I had certain things I had to work on with myself. And briefly, I started, a, I wanted to start a company with a back down friend of mine. And we were looking into topics of, yeah, I mean, not really coaching, but like finding the next level in your life or the next stage and everything. And um, it was a very interesting moment because we, we have been, we've been to a party and we, we talked to a random friend of ours about the idea and then he said, um, well, wouldn't it be great if there would be just a pill to take the to take and then your life would be changing? And I was like, wait, this is a really interesting idea. I mean, it didn't we didn't really talk about this pill. It just like the idea I thought was really interesting. And then just a couple of weeks later, I think this is when I started to for some reason somebody gave me Michael Pollan, the How to Change Your Mind book. I mean, for people who never heard of this. He is a really big, like you could say, best-selling author, like Berkeley, Harvard professor. And he wrote about not only the coming psychedelic renaissance, but also about him wanting to change, not ch yeah, change his mind, like the book title. Because, I mean, he back then he was like 2018, he was 60 years old, and he said like he felt like stuck in his ways and wanted to experience other insights like and maybe also enter the next stage in his life so and these two things came together and then also at the same time i really i mean i had done a, tons of therapy and as i kept coming back to the same topic forever and it did it just didn't really change so and for some reason then i was like okay i'm, I'm in a stage in my life now where there's obviously has, there has to be a really big change, but I couldn't really figure out how to put this together. So, but because Michael Pollan had wrote about this so unemotional in a way that it wasn't like some hocus pocus spirit, like over like wrongly spiritualized experience, but just a very plain, simple explanation how he took LSD in a guided situation. So. And then I found a psychiatrist um, who did this. And um, I think 2019, I just um, did this. Um, so that was your first experience? That was my first psychedelic experience ever. So we had a couple of sessions before. We talked about why I would do this, why I wanted to do this. And then one Sunday, Saturday afternoon, <laughs> I went there. And um, yeah, I went. it was like four, four to five hours on an, on an LSD trip. That experience... It wasn't immediately like, whoa, I'm going to change my life like tomorrow. But it was a really, it had a really big impact. And I didn't really also talk to a lot of people about it, but I realized, okay, something is happening. By the end of 2019, I had done a couple of articles on, on Christian Angermeyer, the founder of Atai and, and investor in Compass Pathway and many other psychedelic endeavors. So, and we had a dinner, organized a dinner here in Berlin for I don't know, 40 people who would be interested in psychedelics in general and what that means. And like the new, like, the, let's say that the psychedelic renaissance, one should say, which means the comeback of these compounds as mental health drugs. So, and um, we were talking for three hours, like people just forgot about, they 
dinner and just everybody's just eating a little bit because everybody wanted to be engaged in discussion. And I realized, wow, this is something that a lot of people really not only fascinated by, they're almost like craving that kind of experience. And then I think 2020, in January, I founded the New Health Club. And as you know, as a series of podcasts and um, later on YouTube shows. I was also yeah. curious to understand yeah. mm -hmm. that the topic of psychedelics transitioned mm -hmm. from something which was a taboo topic yeah. mm -hmm. to something that being openly discussed on mm -hmm. panels, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. panel discussions at very serious conferences yeah, yeah. and Absolutely. Magic Mushrooms articles appearing on the LinkedIn feed. Yeah. I think that COVID had, has triggered or worked like an accelerator for this whole thing because the numbers of people with depression Before COVID, I think in January, it was like 230 million worldwide, only depression, not even anxiety and, and addiction included. So, and I think, for example, the Imperial College in London started to um, research pretty early on how COVID would affect the time after COVID, basically, like the mental health um, situation coming out of COVID, like always six months later in a because then most people would actually experience their PTSD, like post-traumatic stress syndrome, from their COVID experience. So, And suddenly it became clear um, that this number might maybe even double of people suffering from mental health issues. Then suddenly in COVID, people had to face their mental health problems Pretty much everybody, not only, oh, those people that are depressed in psychiatry. No, like everybody suddenly. And also a lot of people start to realize, well, I actually have some questions in terms of my mental health, which they never had to address before because they were just, you know, going out every night or like traveling, like like ex excessively, as you know, traveling excessively can kind of be work like a, like a super distraction from these things. So and um, so these are two factors, I think. And then the opioid crisis in America, that's just beyond imagination that we can imagine here in Europe, that also became clear that this is not doable anymore with any kind of normal SSRIs or therapy. And then, of course, at the same time, that that's the great thing. Like last year, so many universities started their researches, started to come up with new studies, like oh, we just talked about Imperial College was very, very early on interested in this and, and ahead of things than Johns Hopkins and Baltimore. So, and then of course, like you, you've seen last year, like so many really established investors like Christian or Peter Thiel investing in like big amounts of money in psychedelics. You mentioned the renaissance of uh, psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Why do you use that word? What does it refer to? Well, I mean, I think the, the renaissance or renaissance is because, of course, it was around in the 60s or in the 50s, 60s, actually also coming rather from a scientific background than like our storytelling that we know is like, oh, like crazy hippies did LSD in the 60s or Woodstock, um, <laughs> people are naked and in the rolling in the mud and listening to the Rolling Stones. And like, so this is like the narrative that is basically around for at least LSD, maybe just um, psilocybin. Most people I think never heard of until last year or like magic mushrooms maybe. But 
it was actually, like I said, I mean, since Albert Hoffman created LSD, I think basically he started in the 40s with this. And um, then Harvard had already started to research LSD and psychedelics. And there were actually, all over the world, there were studies happening. So, and then, as we know, I mean, one one very important thing was that uh, Richard Nixon criminalized pretty much every psychedelic. Um, I think it was in 66 in, in America and then a couple of years later worldwide because he was actually saying young people who do LSD don't shoot people in Vietnam. And he was right. I mean, they, once you would have a psychedelic experience, you probably would not be that kind of aggressor anymore. So, but I mean, and then of course, Timothy Leary had done a couple of things that um, were not very ideal for the whole movement. And he started to research in Harvard and then he started to give LSD to people outside Harvard. And he just said, okay, we have to leave these institutions and just uh, tune in, drop out. And suddenly it was related to a very, at one point, yeah, I mean, rather dark subculture, you could say, that of course came because the 60s were over, the 70s were starting, so many kind of summer of love, hippie ideas were just not there anymore. So it was a very weird time, I think, around that time, I can imagine. But so basically this led to that all psychedelics were basically, you could say, locked up in some base. The studies were all there, but put down in a basement of universities. And it was literally illegal even to research, not only like to take it, but, and it was a pretty long time where people just couldn't go back to research anymore. And uh, I think like the Imperial College in 2016, Robin Card Harris was a really interesting scientist and probably the most important one in Europe. He was 2016, he was allowed again to research LSD on with human beings. What I, I read a lot that psychedelics yeah. should be considered as a medical drug and should only be offered in a medical setting and specifically treating people. So to have a cause where there's someone with anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, is that how you see it? It's a good question because I think for a lot of people, let's say, who are really suffering from treat, so-called treatment-resistant depression, which means that they'd done, I don't know, 20 SSRIs or antidepressants, nothing would help, or you would have a certain cycle where you, I don't know, you just, for a certain time, this helps, and then it doesn't, stops helping. So I think for that kind of situation, I think personally, it's a very good idea to get treatment in a medical context, or even psychiatry will offer these kind of treatments. I'm pretty convinced. I think there will be many ways how this will play out. But the thing is, I think what's at, at this point, like right now, what's really important is to be a little bit more cautious in a way that the experience with, with the in the 60s showed that it would get too out of hand in a way. You know how media, for example, re responds to this. They would very easily kind of suddenly have an article, oh, this is where this... Um, horrible accident with LSD happens. So, and then this would often backfire to a legal situation that might be in a really great progress. So I think right now, and this might be different in five years or in a couple of years, I think right now it's good to be a little 
more responsible with this? It's always important to look a bit at the flip side of the coin. Yes, and we yeah. haven't talked really about the side effects, if there mm -hmm. are any, also about bad experiences, mm -hmm. the impacts on maybe the brain functions. Are the side effects that we should bring up? It's a really important thing to talk about this because, again, this is also like our narrative is that person had a bad trip, right? I mean, like took something, got into psychiatry and kind of stayed there for like years. <laughs> so this is our perception of this. And I mean, first of all, like let's let's say, let's start with this example of, of a bad trip. So first of all, most most of the time that person had taken something else at the same time, like alcohol or like smoking pot. And then maybe at the end of their party night, they took LSD. So totally not a good idea, which would lead to immediately to a bad trip for most people. And then also like bad trip could also mean that you have an experience on psychedelics, which happens that is very challenging. And that's the thing. It's not like, let's say if even if I say I go to synthesis and I did ketamine, it's never really about like, oh, I'm just lying down and then I just check out and it's so crazy and so cool. It's often a very challenging experience because you start working through serious stuff in you. So meaning a bad, so-called bad trip where you encounter challenges might actually, in a weird way, if you're in the right set and setting, of course, if you're supported by a trip sitter, might be for you in the end, not such a bad thing because you just encounter difficult things in you, which make you able to work through them. But then, of course, another interesting thing is that a lot of people have that experience with ayahuasca, but not necessarily once they coming out of the situation, rather a couple of months later. And I heard that a lot of times from people who, let's say, just in Berlin, for example, just went to Thursday, they get a text saying, oh, hey, on Saturday, we have an ayahuasca thing. Do you want to come? Like, And they would go to some random apartment, just do it there, and might even might be even okay as an experience. But then months later, something kicks in and they're like, okay, I can't, I can't function anymore in my old surrounding. By the way, and then, for example, Charité has opened a place like a you want you could even say like a psychedelic emergency room because actually i talked to the to the guy who who, who had this idea or it's a really interesting idea i think and he said that most people would come from all over germany like months after and especially their ayahuasca experience because they just couldn't function anymore in their i mean you could say like everyday life but they just couldn't connect with their let's say, old cosmology anymore. So meaning that, for example, if you have that experience in South America and um, you're there for, for like, I don't know, like a couple of weeks and you just get into, let's say, the whole spirit also that's there and you have your experience there and then you come back here. So this is such a different experience or like daily encounters you will have, other conversations, other cultural references so that for most people that are not able to integrate so so-called integrate their experience with whatever substance in their life this can also lead for for some people to to real problems it is a new 
undiscovered field and I think a lot of people have questions how to differentiate how to look at it but I'm curious Anne to understand what you have been planning for this year what yeah. is your plan with the new health club tell us well I mean as you know we are just in the process of fundraising and there are a couple of things that we're planning so first of all like the, the digital product the podcast and the show will develop and then we actually let's say the, the so-called tech product will be a platform where we actually can make sure people, why ever they start to get interested in psychedelics, ranging from treatment-resistant depression to I just want to have an experience and make a decision based on my ex psychedelic experience. We just working on a platform that will bring people to the right place And that would actually present like a vetted situation where you just don't have to jump on the internet and just um, book yourself into a retreat that you have no idea what's going to happen or to a clinic and um, where you just think people can help you. So, and I mean, I think last year th there is already a really, a bunch of really great places where people, where, where I would refer people even now, like anytime, because I know how these people work. But of course, this will increase in the next years. And as with other platforms, I mean, you could just Google yourself to death until um, and you still would know what where you would go. Like, right. I mean, so this is something that we're working on. And this is also why we're raising the money. And another thing we're planning is with a partner that I can't reveal yet, but maybe in the second part, we're just really working on a decriminalized Germany campaign decriminalize psychedelics because it was really interesting how this worked last year in America, which was very much supported by Dr. Bronner's, the soap company from California that were also was also a sponsor of our podcast for a while. So and they supported a lot of decrim movements in Washington and Oakland. Out of that came the Oakland model, like a psychedelic therapy model that is happening in a legal context in Oakland so far. And then California is just on a way to decriminalize. So in America, it's like literally every day there's a new place that starts the decrim process. And I mean, it was really interesting how this happened last year because after the election, a couple of days later, there were so many articles, like in every press, like from liberal to conservative to rather progressive, like, and they all had this kind of, topic saying drugs are the winner of the election and because so many people had actually in especially in washington they had 75 percent of people speaking out that they would ha like to have the opportunity first of all not to be criminalized anymore if they would look into psilocybin therapy which is like the first step that you would actually like th that's why the word decriminalize like kind of bring down the level of criminalization that the drug actually has so far. And the second move, which they actually, I think, plan this year in, in America, is to have a situation that in every state you would have, or in the majority of states, you would have the chance right from the get-go to say, I don't want to look into SSRIs, I would like to do psychedelic therapy. So this is what you would like to do for Germany. for Germany. Exactly. So, and I mean, of course, as we know, Europe is pretty much behind in these things, like always. <laughs> But I mean, that's okay because we have a different system. 
So, but I think this year in Germany, it's going to be a very interesting year because in March, I mean, now rather April, May, because of COVID, the first really big psilocybin study will start in Germany, supported by the government with 2.2 million euros, which is a lot of money for a study. And then executed by the Mind Foundation in Berlin and Institut für Seelische Gesundheit in Mannheim. I know it's we're in Germany. But a great, uh, an amazing professor called Gerhard Gründer, he's going to execute a study with the Mind Foundation. And then also Compass Pathway, the uh, really big um, company now from London in terms of psychedelic research and medication, they started already their first trial in, in Berlin, in Charité. And then also, like we said earlier, MAPS, the, the great nonprofit organization from Boston, actually Rick Dublin, the founder, he's based in, in, in Boston, but they're working out of California. They actually on the way to bring MDMA-assisted therapy into America already, and they're very close to be successful. They start also to engage in, in the European kind of medical system. So, so if somebody wants to follow on, up on this conversation yeah. and everything, they yeah. can also, this is something you will share on the new health. Absolutely. And the question I love asking my guests mm -hmm. is to name a woman who is an author of her own achievements. And who is that woman for you? I'm really interested in Gwyneth Paltrow. And I know there are some things that are maybe not aligned with me either. But I think what's really interesting is that she really created this awareness of a different health, actually. And I mean, if I look at it now, I look at it now like back to what happened in the last couple of years, there was this whole discussion on how she um, had like fake news and fake science on her website. And of course, there might be moments where Goop actually maybe did some mistakes in communicating certain things. But at the same time, you also saw that a lot of this so-called very classic Western medicine people just did not want to engage with new ideas of in general and health. And now we see that we have to do this because all these other things are not working anymore. And so what I really like about her is that she was a little unfazed with certain people just calling her all kinds of things and that she created a climate where, I mean, in her case, it was kind of female health, especially, that really had to be retold in, in so many ways. Also, Chelsea Handler, to me, is a person that's very interesting. Not so much because of the comedian thing. I mean, of course, I think she's super funny. But again, like she also had a show a couple of years ago on, on Netflix where she had one episode about her and her friends going to do ayahuasca and um, why did they actually do it and what brought them there. And she was also able to to have that, to tell that story again in a very different open-minded way why they did this but at the same time not only saying like oh this is so cool everybody should do this so but so she also worked on without maybe knowing it at a time on a new narrative for these things it's funny how we finish up the conversation again with hollywood so to speak so yes, we started yeah. there <laughs> and we're ending there yeah, but it was very very interesting to record this episode with you Anne, because Thank you your pathway, your moment of transition, discovery of psychedelics and how you looked at it, not from solely like this is a hype topic, but really trying to understand it and the effects of it, which is very important. 
and showing the responsibility. If people read on this topic, if they want to discover it, they have to take it responsibly and seriously. And I think this is a very also important highlight. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It was great. Great questions. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.